At number 27, the world's most expensive book of scripture sold on auction, 14 million. This is a book of, based on book, uh, dating from the year 1640, and was credited to be the first book ever printed in British North America. At number 17, the world's most expensive watch, $55 million. The watch, graph diamonds, hallucination. And number 14, the world's most expensive vintage sports car, $70 million. 1963 Ferrari 250 GT. Oh. At number 13, the world's most expensive jewel, 71.2 million. It's a 59.6 carat pink star diamond. At number three, the world's most expensive custom yacht, 4.8 billion dollars but wait there's more and number two the world's most expensive helicopter 13.2 billion dollars we're not done at number one the most expensive man-made object here on earth 19.6 billion, the Itaipu Hydroelectric Dam. 19.6 billion. Now, the most expensive object ever, the most expensive object ever known to man up to now is the International Space Station. It costs $150 billion to make. So, as you ponder on these man-made things and the value that they hold, there's something much more valuable than this. Much more valuable, more than any of the things that I just mentioned. Put it all together, add it to the infinity power, doesn't even come close. And what we're gonna learn about today that this most expensive, most valuable thing that we could ever have is the kingdom of God. Today we will learn how Jesus explains to his disciples the value of this spiritual kingdom and what they need to do to be willing to receive it and to preach it. Amen? Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 13. Verse 44. And remember, we love to have fun, and I love that you guys come and we enjoy each other. But now is the time to be serious. We're going to learn about God's word, and we're going to give it the respect and honor it deserves. Amen? The word of God says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up upon the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers and the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous 
and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure, his treasure things new and old. Today, we're going to see four parables of the kingdom of heaven. Four parables of the kingdom of heaven. And two of those parables are going to talk about the value of the kingdom of heaven. One parable is going to talk about the judgment of the kingdom of heaven. And the last parable is going to talk about the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. For those taking notes, the theme, the kingdom of heaven requires sacrifice and we must preach fervently to save souls. The kingdom of heaven requires sacrifice and we must preach fervently to save souls. So we've been studying the book of Matthew, correct? We know that up until this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus begins to teach in a certain way starting in chapter 13. What does he do here in chapter 13? What does he start teaching? In what ways? Parables. Can anybody tell me what a parable is? Dylan. It's a story that does what? Text? Okay, so real quick, if you want to copy that from the uh, dictionary that I use, Lagos. Uh, a story that illustrates a truth using comparison, hyperbole, or simile can be a model, an analogy, or an example. Can anybody tell me why Jesus began to teach in parables? Yes, to the disciples, to the believers that would understand this truth, yes, it would be easier. Why else would he start teaching in parables? This is extra credit here. Why? <laughs> William? So that they would have different ways of understanding? Fox? So that he wouldn't be, I guess, credited against them. That he had told them, if he explained it to them clearly, it would be credited against them if they didn't believe. But if he spoke to them in parables so that they didn't understand, it wouldn't be counted against them. Yes, double judgment. Double judgment. See, Jesus was preaching and they were rejecting him. He was the Messiah and they were rejecting him. He was so merciful, he said, you know what, to not bring these people more damnation, than they already have, let's start preaching in parables. Let's start speaking in parables so that the disciples and the believers will understand and those that are not, it's not going to count against them. God's mercy, in a way, for these parables to be. So, last week, Matt taught us about the exclamation of the wheat and tares, right? And we saw that God does not call us to what? Does he call out, does he tell us, well, your job is to go see who's an unbeliever and Call him out. What does he call us to do? Miko. Spread the gospel. He doesn't call you to pull out the weeds, right? He doesn't call us to say, oh yeah, that person's definitely not a believer. Oh, forgive me, I'm so great, I'm a believer. That person's definitely not. No, he doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to what? To preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. 
So I said earlier, today we will see how much the kingdom of heaven will cost us. The first parable we will look at is the parable of the hidden treasure. Let's go ahead and read verse 44. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. First thing I want you to know, does anybody, can you hear me good with this microphone? It's not like, it's clear? Okay. Because I don't want to, I can speak, I can do it, but I know my voice, I won't have a voice at the end of the night, so bear with me. So the kingdom of heaven, so when you take notes, you want to leave like, you know, the outline and then you want to leave some space between each so you can write the most, the thing that you learned the most. We're going to ask you smarter, hey, what's the thing that you learned the most? So make sure you, 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 you know, you write it down now. This is a good time to do so. The kingdom of heaven equals the gospel. The kingdom of heaven equals the gospel. Treasure, the Greek word here in this instance, in this verse, means valuable jewels, okay? Money, jewels, other valuables. Field, it's just a piece of field. It could be owned by somebody, a piece of land, wilderness. That is the field we're talking about. So what the parable is talking about is a man probably stumbled him, stumbled into a treasure. Now you ask yourself, how can somebody stumble into a treasure? Well, many commentators suggested that the practice of hiding valuables in the earth was a common practice in Palestine. You see, we don't have the problem today because we have called something called banks. And we usually deposit our money in these called banks. So we don't have to treasure it or hide it somewhere thinking somebody's going to come and get it because we have banks. But that's banks were not always there, right? So due to wars and invaders, the only way some people could protect their valuables was to literally dig holes in the ground, <laughs> put them in jars, and leave them there. Basically, at night they would go, they would dig in their jar and whatever they needed and dig it back. So if you ever see your parents in the yard at night, they're not digging a treasure. They're doing something else, call the cop. No, I'm just kidding. So what was the downside of this, right? The downside is somebody dies, they don't know where the treasure is. They don't know where their valuable is, right? So it's just, it's left there. So history, years and years of history. So these fields in Palestine, sometimes the stories were told that you could stumble upon one of these treasures. Now, the man finds it by accident. Was he looking for the treasure? No, it appeared to him. Sometimes we don't look, or a lot of people don't look for the gospel. God in his grace comes and saves them. And that's okay, because he's God, and he can do as he pleases, right? We have the example of Paul. You think Paul's looking for Christ? Oh, he was looking for him, but in the wrong scenario, the wrong way. The, God, the gospel came to Paul. The Holy Spirit changed his life, right? Now, he immediately saw the value of it, and he hid it again. He does this because by Jewish custom, any treasure found must be given back to the owner. So like, hold on, man. I know Fox is saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're saying that Jesus is preaching to do something illegal? No, no, he's not, Fox. No, he's not. And let, let's explain why. The thing with parables is you can't stick to the details of it. The parable is there for us to get a certain point to understand the main principle of it. 
Because if you go by each point, it's a rabbit hole that you're not going to get out of. So we'll focus on what the point is here in this parable. But just in case, let's say you are thinking the morality of this parable. Or commentator writes, well, number one, if the owner knew about the treasure, he would have probably gotten the treasure before he sold the land, right? Think about it. The owner didn't know about it. Number two, the guy would not have bought the land if the treasure wasn't there. And number three, does he buy the land with the treasure that he finds? No, he doesn't. He buys the land with everything that he owns. He went and sold everything and sells all that he has and buys that field. This was important. This treasure was important to him to the point where he gave it all. He sold it all for this. So why does he do this? Why does he sell all that he has for this treasure? What does the Bible say? Why does he do it? Tingle, you, why does he do it? What's your name? Out of joy. He does it out of joy. He does it out of joy. You see, if you're a true believer in Christ, being called a slave of Christ, being called a bondservant of Christ, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's an honor. It's the best thing that can ever happen to us to be called slave of Christ, bondservant. You know why? Because we were dead in our trespasses. We were going to hell. We were away from him. But God and his grace saved us. The least we can do is follow him and do whatever he says because he's the master of our lives. The point that Jesus is trying to make is the following. The message of the gospel is so valuable that when it comes to us, we must be willing to give everything up to follow Jesus and share the gospel with the world. This is what the meaning of it was. It was so valuable that he hit it again. You didn't want anybody to see it. He wanted to buy it for himself. The gospel is so valuable that when we receive it, we receive it with joy. And we just don't want to keep it to ourselves. Well, we'll see what the third parable says about preaching it. Let me ask you some questions. What are some examples of things that you can think of that you have given up for Christ? That, that all people give up for Christ throughout the world? Give me some examples. Yes. Home comforts, okay. Family, yeah. A lot of people give up their family, especially in Latin America. When we grow up, you know, you're Catholic. That's what you do. You're born Catholic. When you become a Christian, they're like, oh, he's a crazy person. And they start, they won't talk to you. They, they disown you sometimes, right? What if you're a Muslim and you become a Christian? It's, it's bad, right? But you're willing to give everything, even the relationship of your parents for the gospel, for God. What else? Ian? Uh, for example, you have to give up your safety. Why did Israel put up the iron bell? Because people, Muslims, are watching Muslims in Jerusalem. Yeah. What else? Yes, Fox. Your life. Your life? Some people die for the gospel. They die for it. They die gladly for it. I got family relations, friendships, jobs, promotions. 
How many of people give up those for the gospel? Because they won't give in to what the culture is saying, to what they think is right or wrong. And they stand firm in Christ. Freedom. Some people are thrown into jail for being Christian, for preaching the word. So when I, when the word of God encourages us to preach the gospel here in America, please, it shouldn't even come twice to you to think about it, to do it. We're not in Iraq, China, countries where it's illegal that you will be thrown in jail if they catch you with the Bible and preaching the word. We're blessed to be in this country and let's take advantage of it while we can. Because just because we're here doesn't mean, it doesn't guarantee anything. God's judgment is God's judgment and it can go anywhere. If God gave his own people to Babylon and Assyria, who is the United States of America for that not to happen? Prove of that. So, just like, remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the mustard sheet and the leaven, two examples saying the same thing. Here, Jesus is going to continue with another parable with the same message and the same importance. Let's go to the parable number two, the costly pearl, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. So this merchant, he's a sea trader, and it's more like a wholesale pearl buyer, okay? He's a wholesale pearl buyer, that's where the, this term derives from the Greek. Now, by saying this, this man, all he knows is the pearl exchange. He knows them. He knows every single pearl. He knows the sizes. He knows the clarity. He knows he's an expert. And he's going and trying to find one that's a fine, and the Greek translates, free from impurities, having a high or specified degree of purity. Guys, according to many commentators, pearls were the greatest commodity of the time. They were comparable to like today's diamonds are for us, okay? Pearls are today's diamonds, right? They were very, very valuable. Number one reason why they made valuable, a lot of people died actually trying to get these pearls because it was free diving into the ocean and getting them. They didn't have any scuba diving equipment. So a lot of people died in this process. A lot of people suffered long-lasting damage because they kind of like passed out in the water, not enough oxygen went to the brain, and they had physical deformities or for the rest of their lives. So people saw that these things were hard to get, so they were valuable. Number two, the value of having something with so much, being so small, you can transfer it. You can hide it in the ground in a jar, you can keep it with you as you travel, right? It's not like having a big block of gold. Try to travel with that. You're gonna have to leave it in your house, but who's gonna take care of it when you're in your house? That's why you need to get in the ground, right? Uh, Side note, men, you probably don't know how expensive diamonds are until you start to look for one. And then you're gonna find out, wow, these things are expensive. But make sure it's a nice clarity, nice color, at least 0.8, you know, one carry, you know, impress the father-in-law. Like, I wanna marry your daughter, this is what I'm bringing to the table here, okay? Verse 46. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this merchant, whole life, wholesaler of pearls, that's what he's done, that was his profession. He was a pro at finding pearls, and he finds one. And for this one that he finds, the pearl of pearls, he does what? 
he sells everything that he has to buy it. I can imagine all the other type of pearls that he has, he, he sold it. No, it wasn't, it didn't mean anything to him. He just wanted this pearl. He gave it all. Again, the idea here is the importance and value of the gospel. Once you find it, you will give it all. To buy it, to keep it, to have it with you. Yes, Claire. Well, because he might have found it from another merchant. Remember, he's a wholesaler, so he's looking to buy. So somebody must have found a good pearl somewhere in the sea, Mediterranean Sea, and he just saw it. And once he saw it, now this gentleman, was he like the first person that kind of like stumbled up into the treasure? No. What was he doing this time, Coop? He was trying to find it. So there's two groups of people, right? The gospel that comes in one by accident, the other people actually trying to look for answers. See, we were created with a heart to worship God. That's what we were created to do, right? And he was asking, looking for this opportunity to, to hear, to have answers to these questions that he has about life, about how come nothing fulfills me? How come, no, how come I can't find the truth? Until he reaches and somebody preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and he becomes saved. And once he does that, he gives it all. He gives it all to have it. Everyone turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubberish so that I may gain Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a true disciple in Christ, nothing matters no, they can't put anything as a value to make you decide between Christ and anything else because the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you'll always choose Christ because of Him. Amen? Let's move on to the third parable. Now, the third parable, we talked about the first two that talk about the value of the kingdom of God. Now we're going to talk about the judgment of the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet Cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. So you know what a dragnet looks like. It's basically a large fishing net, generally worked by two boats, which separate and then draw it to the shore. So if you see this, they throw it into the area of the ocean or the sea and then. It takes a lot of people to bring it back in all this, and it collects fish of all kinds, the Bible says. What are these kinds that Jesus is alluding to? He, well, he's gathering believers and unbelievers. That's what he's doing here. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, 
but the bad they threw away. So as the net reached the shore, it took everything in its path. Everything. Everything in its path. Fish, sand dollars, starfish, things that were weeds, right? All manners of sea life, hopefully from the dolphin. Things dropped from boats, fish of every kind. According to the commentators that I read, when, it, when this was full, it took for hours, it took hours for men to drag this to the beach. And when they did this, it took time to separate the good fish, which they would put in water, keep them alive, and the, the bad, they would throw away. Verse 49. So it will be at the end of age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. So here Jesus is explaining the parable. And he's telling them that in final judgment, believers and unbelievers will be judged. The wicked from the righteous. This parable is similar to the wheat and terror that Matt explained to us about. The difference is in the parables of the wheat and tares, the believers and unbelievers are living together until the day of judgment. Particularly here in this parable, it's just already the day of judgment and they're being separated. The wicked person, a person characterized, the Greek derived wicked, a person characterized by evil actions and immoral character. Wicked. Characterized by a righteous person, a person characterized by righteous actions and morals. What can save you? Can works save you? Can being a good person save you? Only Christ can. Through faith. In Christ alone. Amen? Can never be good enough. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. One of my favorite verses. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Good works do not save you, but good works are evidence of your salvation. If your life is characterized by being righteous, that is what the Bible is saying here, the righteous fish. If your life is characterized by wickedness and immorality, the Bible says to check ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Remember last week's lesson. What are we called to do? Are we called to judge other people's salvation? Is that what we're called to do? Oh, that person's not a believer. Was he an unbeliever? Well, I, I don't know. So, so easy to fall into that trap. Yes, you can make a judgment. Judge. Not be judgmental thinking that you're better, but don't judge people's salvation. The Bible doesn't call us to do that. The Bible calls us to judge our own salvation. We'll get there in a second. Verse 15. And we'll throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
One of the most uncomfortable doctrines to talk about with people is the doctrine of hell. Why? Why is it so uncomfortable? Well, because as humans, we have this notion of justice. And we like justice, and we want justice, and guess what? Justice is okay. Yes, it is okay. And it's great that God is a loving God, and it's also great that he's a just God. The wicked will pay for what they've done, and that's a good thing. But where does the uncomfortableness come from? Well, where do we know what good and bad comes from? The Bible. The Bible tells us what is good and what is bad. What was bad in the past is bad today and will be bad tomorrow. Is that the same concept that our current world has? No. Our current world decides what good and bad is. So when they see the Bible, they say, no, I don't really agree with those sins. Those sins shouldn't send anybody to hell. How God, you're unfair. See, that's not how it works. God decides what's good and bad. God decides the final judgment. But why do people focus so much on the hell part? Why don't they just focus on the bound your knee to your Christ, to your Lord part? Why not? Because what would that do? It would take away their worship from themselves and put worship on God. And it's going to take away their desires of what they want to live and how they want to live instead of being a slave or bond servant to God. And now they're going to have to do it his way and not their own way. Guys, what does this remind you of? Where does this come back to? What does is, what is Satan do? Well, I, I think I, I should deserve some of that glory, right? What did Adam do? Well, I, I think I want to know what good and bad is. I think I know better. And the fall comes. See, when you start thinking that you know more than God, it's not a good thing. It's not going to end up right for you. But hell is real. It's real. It's a real place. People that don't not have Jesus Christ in their heart will go to this place. This is real. In fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than any other prophets or apostle. And MacArthur says this. I didn't have time to really look into it, but he says that Jesus states he talks more about hell than actually about love. Think about it. And why would, and then if this is true, why would you think Jesus would come and bring this message? Why would he be so fervent? Why would he be so passionate? Why would he want to do it? Why? Fox? Because no one's going to repent and affect on people who repent from. Okay. But think bigger. If you knew the solution for people not to go to hell, if you knew. And if you were able to warn them, wouldn't you? Then why don't we? As much as we should. Why do we are afraid to speak up sometimes in America? Why? And I fall into there as well, so don't think that it's me, you, it's all of us. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Verse 12. 
Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the dead and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of God. This is truth. The great Puritan writer and preacher John Bunyan describes hell with this vivid imagery. In hell, thou shalt have none but a company of damned souls with an innumerable company of devils to keep company with thee. While thou art in this world, the very thought of devils appearing to thee makes thy flesh to tremble and thine hair ready to stand upright on thy head. But oh, what wilt thou do when not only the supposition of the devils appearing, but the real society of all the devils of hell will be with thee, howling, roaring and screeching in such a hideous manner that thou wilt be even at thy wit's end and ready to run stark and mad again for anguish and torment. If after 10,000 years an end should come, there would be comfort. But there is thy misery. Here thou must be forever. When thou seest what an innumerable company of howling devils thou art amongst, thou shalt think this again. This is my portion forever. When thou hast been in hell so many thousands of years, as there are stars in the firmament, or drops in the sea, or sands on the seashore, yet thou hast to lie there forever. All this one word ever, how will it torment thy soul? That's the judgment of the kingdom of God. Let's turn to the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Have you understood all these things? Verse 51. They said to him, yes. The Greek word here for understood means bringing or putting together. He basically is saying, have you put all these things together? Have you given up everything for the gospel? Are you focused in spreading the good news like you should instead of judging others' salvation? Do you understand that if you don't speak this message, people will go to hell? Do you understand these things Jesus is asking his disciples and telling us and asking us today? And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure, things new and old. Scribe, a man who was a learner, interpreter, and teacher of the law. There were many interpretations of this verse. Some were saying that they were actually scribes, Jewish scribes that became Christians and were able to preach the gospel with Old Testament referring to Jesus in the New Testament. But I, I kind of like MacArthur's interpretation as it goes well within the context. He is talking to his disciples, right? None of them were experts of the law by profession. What were they? Fishermen, tax collectors. What we don't want was a zealot, right? What is a zealot? 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I always do remember. It's basically like a, a political revolutionary type of thing, type of person. Under Jesus' instruction, guess what? The twelves, the twelve were becoming scribes of the law and a true disciple of the kingdom. I mean, if we had time, just, look, just put in your notes. Read Acts chapter two, verses fourteen through thirty-four. This is Peter's serving and the day of Pentecost. That's a fisherman, guys. Giving one of the greatest sermons ever. How many, how many came to Christ that day? A lot. Jesus used that fisherman. He was becoming the scribe. Jesus' instruction made them scribes. The head of the household was in charge of providing and maintaining an ample supply of everything. Food, clothing, and other materials. When he would run out, he would store, he would when he would run out, he would, in, he would go into the storeroom, and here treasure means an area where you have the food, clothing, not like jewels, and he would go and get them and bring them out to whoever needed them. But he was also thrifty, where he knew that maybe things weren't used completely, he would put it back in his storage, right? In case he needed to use it again later. And this is what it means here. Basically, the disciples were the ones that founded the church. The apostles founded the church. They knew about Jesus' old teachings, and they also knew about his new teachings, which were the writings of the New Testament to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these people, these disciples, these apostles, would become these scribes that would bring the old and the new. So what did they do? They preached. They preached. They preached the word of God. Something we know about the apostles, they, the majority of them died as martyrs. They knew what they were getting themselves into. Jesus told them, how many times did he tell them then before you commit, does a king go to war without knowing his soldiers? Does a man build a house without knowing what materials that he has? Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man does not have somewhere to lay his head. He was telling them this is the cost, and they were willing to do so to death. Because of them, we have the gospel today. We are saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ because of their commitment to spread this gospel. So to conclude, two things. Do we value the gospel of God to the point of preaching it to the ends of the earth? Do we value the gospel of God to preach it to the ends of the earth? How is this evident in your life? How have we really given everything up for God? Our pride our nervousness, our selfishness, our reason why we sometimes don't preach the gospel. We gotta give that up for God. Does the doctrine of hell motivate you even more to preach the gospel? It should. Our family members, our cousins, our aunts, 
aunts, uncles, everybody, co-workers, neighbors, they need to hear the gospel. Do you have to convince them? Do you? That's the good part. That's the greatest part. All you got to do is preach. God is the one that saves. All you got to do is open your mouth and be obedient to God and know how to do it. God is the one that saves. What a, what a burden off your shoulders is that? To know that God is the one that saves you, not you, or how crafty you present it, or how great you are. No, it's Christ. It's the gospel through your lips. Number two, are you the good fish in the parable? Are you the good fish in the parable? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.15, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Guys, the good news is that you don't have to be the bad fish. The good news is that you, hell does not have to be for you. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that he rose from the dead, that he's the son of God, that he resurrected, and you confess your sins before him and you repent from them and you turn away from them and you bow your knee and call him Lord, he is willing and able to forgive you. That is the good news of the gospel. And we will preach it to the day we die. And you will preach it to your children and your children will preach it to their children. You have no excuse. You hear it from your parents. You hear it from your leaders. You hear it at church on Sundays. Let's stop hearing it and also let's start preaching it. God has called all of us to do it, not just the apostles. And if you do have questions, and if you have questions about your salvation, it's good. Ask your parents. Talk to your leaders. Don't leave today with any doubts in your mind in your head. Let this be the day you made Jesus your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. What a powerful word that you've given us today. What a powerful message that has convicted our hearts, Father, to preach your gospel. Thank you, Lord, because we know that heaven is real and also hell. Give us the mercy. Give us the desire, the burning desire in our hearts to preach your gospel to the world, to our family, to our friends, to our loved ones. Let them hear the gospel and, Father, save, save them, Lord. Save all of our family members and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and grandparents. Save them, Lord, please, when they hear your gospel. We, we implore this to you, Father. We ask you, we pray that you do so, Lord, because you're the only one that can, God. I thank you for each and every youth here. I thank you, Father, that if they have a burden in their heart to learn how to want to preach the word to, so they can come forward and tell the leaders about it, that we can they can learn to do so, Father, with power, with the power that you give through your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for it, Lord, because it's there that the power of the gospel, Father, that everyone is saved by, Lord. We're not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit convicting us in this moment. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. All right.